Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. In 3 John, verse number 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And then we also read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, these words, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God." Hallelujah. We've been talking the last uh, few weeks about giving. Notice the apostle uh, Paul here said, give, and he said, uh, whatever you sow, it will come back to you. Sow a little, you reap a little. Sow a lot, you reap a lot. So that it has to do with giving. We pointed out that there are five kinds of giving identified in the New Testament. Tithes, general offerings, offerings to missionaries, Offerings to ministers who minister the word to you and giving to the poor. Now, people, uh, we also found out that tithing is first and foremost uh, a principle of faith in God. We also found out that tithing is a principle of honoring God. We closed out last week talking about that concept. And there are people who, who uh, struggle sometimes with the idea that uh, tithing is somehow an Old Testament concept. And so you hear people say sometimes, well, tithing was under the law. It's part of the law of Moses, and so it doesn't apply today. Uh, This has been an often uh, cited objection to tithing. And what I mean by that is uh, I heard it when I was young, growing up, whenever I got back into fellowship with the Lord as a young man, I heard it. I thought it for a little while. I picked up on what people were saying. And so this is not a new argument or a new idea, but in the day in which we live, uh, there's been a, a lot said about the law and the church's relationship with the law, and a lot of it is just flat not accurate. I said a lot of it is not accurate. Uh, when people talk about the law today, I, how this came up the, uh, a number of years ago, I started having conversations with pastors and, and other ministers that I'd known a long time, and I detected uh, a new philosophy and a new teaching that was emerging, and uh, and I couldn't quite put my finger on where they were coming from to begin with. But over time, uh, uh, I saw that every time someone would preach or advocate a position that uh, when that when you do right and when you do what God says in His Word, He will bless you and honor that. And if you are disobedient to the word of God, you're not going to enjoy the full blessing of God. Well, that is absolutely the truth. 
But people began to push back with this new uh, uh, philosophy that's entered into the church. And they say, oh, no, 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 no. Anytime you talk about God uh, responding to something you do that's good and right, anytime uh, you present that in a way that if you will do right, God will respond. This is what they said all across the board. I heard it from multiple people. That's the law. You're putting people under the law. To believe that there's anything you can do that God then responds to you, that's putting people under law. That's acting and living under the law. That is absolutely not true. Now, I knew it wasn't true, but it took me a while to quite figure out uh, where the error was. And so the Spirit of God prompted me not long ago, and I painstakingly went through the New Testament from Acts to Revelation. Now, why did I start in the book of Acts? Well, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus was still operating under the law. The law uh, was still in effect until Jesus became the final sacrifice of the law. And, and at that time, an unseen hand tore, uh, you know, the curtain that, that separated the most holy place from the rest of the temple from the top to the bottom. And that demonstrated that, the, that God no longer dwelt in a temple made by hand. The Old Testament law came to an end when Jesus uh, was crucified on the cross. But up until that time, Jesus was under the law. He lived under the law. Now, because he was the son of God and without sin, he didn't need the law. He really didn't need to submit to the law because the Bible says the law was made for sinners. It wasn't made for the Lord Jesus Christ, but to give testimony to the law. He abided by the law. He endorsed the law. Some of his teachings, now listen, grace was introduced in the four gospels, but a lot of the law was still advocated. And so because of that, I left the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John out. But the books of, of, of the epistles, of course, were letters written to the church. I heard somebody say this uh, this week, and I, and I thought I, I really liked it. He said that uh, the epistles, remember when Jesus, before he left, he said, I have yet many things to say to you, but you're not able to bear them. This, past, this, this minister said the epistles really contained the words of Jesus that he left here unsaid. When he left, these are the things that he didn't say. They're in the epistles. Well, the book of Acts uh, is the history of the first you know, 30 years of the church. And, but there are teachings in the, in the book of Acts as well. So I went through the Acts all the way through, the Revela through Revelation and I read the entire New Testament. I sat down every day and I read through portions of it every day from start to finish. And I was specifically looking for every reference to the law and being justified by the law or any time law versus grace was uh, under discussion. Every single time, law versus grace. This is what I found out. I found out that you can go through, I'll just say, I wrote this down. I said, go through the Acts and the Epistles and carefully examine every passage where grace versus the law is discussed or every passage where believers are warned about the danger of putting themselves back under the law. You will observe these things. Number one, the law being referred to is always, and that's in caps, the law being referred to is always the law of Moses. It's not the Old Testament taken in its entirety. Every single time, it's the law of Moses. 
That is the law with its well-defined commandments, ordinances, regulations, and so forth. When the Bible in the New Testament speaks of law, when it's, when it's uh, comparing law versus grace, it's not just talking about law as a general principle. It's talking about the law of Moses. Now, many ministers today make the critical mistake of labeling any preaching or teaching that emphasizes the Christian's obligation to obey God's instructions regarding holy living or that warns that God is displeased when they do not obey his word as trying to put people back under the law. On the contrary, New Testament instructions to believers regarding righteous living and obedience are not even remotely the same as the law. Now, in James chapter 2, some people would say, well, James chapter 2 talks about law. But in James chapter 2, where he's talking about works versus uh, uh, you know, faith, he's not talking about uh, the law and works versus grace. He's talking about faith. And the works he's talking about there are not works uh, 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 unto righteousness. They're simply corresponding actions. Now, I found out, number two, that without exception... I went through every verse, verse by verse. Without exception, the practice of keeping the law that Paul warned about and others warned about was always, always, without exception, it was referring to the effort to be justified by the works of the law. That is to be declared righteous or to be made right with God or to be saved. We'll say that again. Without exception, the practice of keeping the law that Paul warned about or warned against was always the effort to be justified by the works of the law, not simply endeavoring, endeavoring as a child of God to please the Father by keeping the word of God. There is an important and fundamental difference between the two. One is an attempt to be justified or saved by keeping the law of Moses, which is not possible. The other are acts that please God by obedience to his will and to his word. I noticed that whenever I would talk to people and correspond with people and I would bring up uh, 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 where the Bible teaches that we are to do certain things and obey things and, and his principles and that God will bless us, these, these ministers will write back every time and say, yes, but, but that's not what makes God love you. That's not what makes you his child. And, I, and it was like, you ever tried to argue with somebody or discuss something with somebody and they just simply would not hear you? And, and dozens of times I wrote back, can you not understand I'm not arguing that it makes you right with God? or that, that not doing this, God will not love you, or that you can't be his child. That's not the point. See, that's what Paul warned about. He warned against keeping the law as in an effort to be justified, declared righteous, be saved by the works of the law. That's not what we're talking about. And so um, there's an important fundamental difference between the two. One is an attempt to be justified or saved by keeping the law of Moses, which is not possible. The other are acts that please God by obedience to his will and word. Now, I found out something else. I went back and studied this out this week. There are approximately 250 direct quotations from the Old Testament in the New Testament. Approximately 250 if you include partial 
quotations, the number jumps to over a thousand. If you include allusions that are made to the Old Testament scriptures, the number jumps to over 2,000. The point is the New Testament is full of references to the Old Testament, both to the law and to books outside the law. Remember I told you last week, I think, that the Old Testament is divided into certain uh, classifications of books. The law technically is Genesis through Deuteronomy. The books of Joshua through uh, Esther are books of history. It's not book, those are not books of the law. They're books of history. They, in the historical books, they talk about how the children of Israel disobeyed the law and the, and the judgment that fell upon them and then what would happen and how God would be merciful when they would turn and, and, and repent and start keeping the law again. But those are historical books. Then you have the books of wisdom or poetry and that, of course, is Jew, uh, uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then you have the prophets, which begin with, with Isaiah and go through Malachi. Uh, so not everything in the Old Testament is a book of the law. Now, here's what's interesting. Often, Old Testament passages, sometimes even from the law of Moses, are cited to validate New Testament practices and conduct. That is not just, I'm not talking about just Old Testament prophecies. There, you know, there are, there are Old Testament prophecies that are referred to in the New Testament. Prophecies that have to do with the coming of, you know, the, the person of Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his, the redemption that comes through Christ and, and, and his millennial reign. There are a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament that have to do with Christ and, and, and everything about him. And of course, those are quoted. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about there are many scriptures in the New Testament, many verses that are direct quotations from the Old Testament and they're given to validate what we believe today. So the reason that's important is sometimes people, if you bring up anything having to do with character or behavior or conduct or holy living, and if you, and if you cite an Old Testament reference, today a lot of people will immediately say, well, that's Old Testament. We don't see anything about that in the New Testament. That's Old Testament. That's not for today. Well, then why did the New Testament quote so many of those passages? To validate what he was talking about. Now, there are some parts of the Old Testament, particularly in the law, that are specifically given in the New Testament and we're told that those things no longer apply. For instance, keeping of the Sabbath. That's only one example. Of course, the law, the, the, the law of the sacrifices and all of the things. The reason those things are, are not applicable today is because Jesus has fulfilled those things. All of those things were types and shadows of Christ or of something we have today. We don't sacrifice today because Jesus became the sacrifice. We don't observe the Sabbath because the Sabbath is a type of the rest of God that we enter into in the new covenant. Remember that in Hebrews, in Hebrews I think it's the, the fourth chapter, talks about having entered into his rest. The Sabbath was a type of the New Testament era. So we don't observe days and so forth. So there are things that the scripture clearly tells us do not apply today, but there are other things that do apply. 
Now, let me just give you some examples. Now, I chose these two because they have to do with money, and that's what we're talking about. Go back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, without going through the setup to this, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, evidently, the church at Corinth were happy to send offerings to other ministers, but they weren't sending any money to the Apostle Paul for his support. And so there were other teachers that were coming through and, and again, they were funding them or blessing them or, or uh, supporting their ministries, but evidently they weren't giving anything to the Apostle Paul. So he was arguing in this chapter that he, and just like the others, has the right you know, to live from the gospel. Let's, let's start in verse number six. He says, or is, is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as, as, mere, as a mere man, or does the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Now notice when Moses wrote that, this had nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a type of Christ. It had to do with livestock. You don't muzzle an ox while he treads out the grain. He's eating grain that he's, he's laboring in that field so he gets to eat from his labor. Now, he went on to say, he said, now, others are partakers of this. Other ministers are partakers of this, but we haven't been. And, and he said, I'm not even writing this to you so that you'll do it, but it's right to do it. He said, because I founded, Paul founded the church at Corinth. He was the founding apostle for that church. And they weren't supporting him, but they were supporting others. Now notice, he says, it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox which treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it, Moses and the, old, the law, does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. That he who plows should plow in hope and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things to you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Now, he says that what, Ma, that what Moses wrote, in De, this is from Deuteronomy 25, that when Moses wrote about oxen, that you don't muzzle the oxen, according to the Apostle Paul, that was not even written for them or the oxen. Obviously, it wasn't written for the oxen. He said it was written for the church. Did you hear that? Does he say it all together for, or, or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. Deuteronomy 25.4 was written for the church. Did Paul say that or am I saying that? Did Paul, did Paul say Deuteronomy 25 was written for the church? Sounds like it. He said it was written for our sake. 
that he who plows should plow in hope and that he who threshes in hope should be protector of his hope. Go over with me to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5, we have the same quote and then another one. Verse 17 says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now he's quoting the Old Testament to establish a principle in the New Testament. And he's, not, and he's not just quoting from the poetry books. It is not just quoting from the history books. It is not just quoting from the prophets. He's quote, quoting from the law of Moses. So this idea that nothing under the law of Moses is applicable today is just not true. Paul also said, look in, in Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Verse number one, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. That was one of the 10 commandments etched in stone by the finger of God. Does it apply today? Is he saying today that we should honor our mother and father? And is he saying that it still has promise? Where did it come from? It came from the law. See, my point is there's a lot of nonsense today that says that you can't quote the law, you can't quote the Old Testament, any concept of behavior or, or living that's from the law, that doesn't apply today. That's not true. It's just as wrong today to commit murder as it was when when Moses said, thou shalt not commit murder. It was wrong in the Garden of Eden. It was wrong when Cain killed his brother. It wasn't the law that made it wrong. Amen. So I've heard people, you know, I've challenged, you know, I've pointed out things. Well, you know, the Bible teaches this. Well, that's Old Testament. You can't use that. I, I beg your pardon. I most certainly can. The apostle Paul used the Old Testament. Amen. And it's still valid. But see, the di- what are you saying, Pastor? This sounds different. Here's the key. Again, the law is that, that is referred to in the Old Testament that we don't keep is always the law of Moses and it always has to do with the effort to be justified by the law. Honoring my mother and father is not what's going to get me saved. Not muzzling a pastor or a minister who treads out the the grain, who labors in a church, giving him his due, believing that and acting on that on your part is not what makes you acceptable to God. It's not what justifies you. It's not what gets you saved. It doesn't make God love you more and not doing it doesn't make him love you less. Again, every time Paul warned about the danger of keeping the law, it was always in the context of keeping the law law in an attempt to earn God's 
salvation, to be made right with God, to enter into relationship with him. None of that is under discussion. None of that's under discussion where Paul talked about here, parents, I mean, children obey your, 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 your parents. He wasn't talking about being justified. He was just saying, if you do it, you'll live long. And if you don't do it, you won't live long. And where did he get that concept? From Moses, 10 commandments. Are you getting my point? Well, praise the Lord. I've spent a lot of time on this today, but uh, this narrative is so uh, prevalent today. And you need to be aware that when people, because people can throw you off. They say, well, now that's, that's Old Testament. We're, you know, that, we, that's in the law of Moses. You need to understand the truth so that you're not tripped up. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Did you get anything from that? Amen. Hallelujah. We talked about the fact that uh, obviously tithing didn't begin with the law. It came before the law. And so even if the law, even if tithing was included in the law, so was loving God. <laughs> love, it's the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Well, just because the law said it doesn't mean we don't do it today. Well, that's under the law. No, we still love God. Amen. And so the law did not create the obligation to love God and the removal of the law doesn't remove the obligation to love God. The law didn't create the obligation to tithe, it just regulated it, but it didn't, and the, and the, and the fulfillment of the law doesn't remove the obligation of the tithe that came before it, amen? Now, a lot of, most people uh, look to Abraham as the, as the first example of the law, I mean, uh, of tithing. I want you to go with me to Genesis chapter 4. Now, I believe if we look carefully at this, we'll see that tithing actually began, began in Genesis chapter 4 with the story of Cain and Abel. Abel was the first person who really had the consciousness of tithing. Now, it wasn't called tithing yet. It hadn't been identified as 10. The word tithe means 10%. It doesn't mean 9.8%. doesn't mean 12.65%. The word tithe is a mathematical uh, calculation. It's 10% of anything is the tithe. You know, I said this last week. If you can't give God, if God gives you 10 dimes and you can't give God a dime back, you're pretty cheap. It's just a dime. I mean, you, have, you still have nine dimes. If you have nine dimes, you almost have 10. <laughs> After you give him the dime, you still almost have 10. You're real close to 10 dimes. You still got nine dimes. God gives you $10. Can't you give him $1? You still have nine. You know, $9 is almost 10. It's real close to 10. God gives you $1,000, can't you give God $100? You still have $900. $900 is almost 1000 If God gives you $10,000, can't you give God 1000 If God gives you $100,000, can't you give him 10000 Oh, now you're talking 10,000. I couldn't give God. That's where people get tripped up is with the big money. I, you know, that's $10,000. Listen, the principle's the same. It's still the dime. Ten, you still have, God gave you $10,000. You still have nine. 
I can know. What am I saying? $90,000. God gives you $100,000 and you give him $10,000. That was that. That's the calculation. I got tripped up. You still have 900000 900, What am I? $90,000. I'm losing. I need Dan to come up here and translate for me. Did you know $90,000 is almost $10,000? It's almost $100,000. I'll have you more confused than I am before I leave. $90,000 is almost $100,000. In fact, there's not a lot you can do with a with 90,000 with $100,000 you can't do with 90. When you think about it. I mean, if if it's if it's buying a house, if it's buying a car, you can't, if you had a $100,000 to spend on a car and somebody else spent $90,000 on a car, I'd compare those two cars. They're real close. $90,000 is a nice car. It's not that much less than 100. In fact, it's within the scope of a good bargain on the same car. Is it not? One person can spend $100,000 in a car. Somebody else can get that same car for $90,000, maybe even less. So when you're talking about that, you're still only talking one dime out of 10. Someone can spend $500,000 on a home. Somebody else can, what's what's a tenth of that? (laughs) $50,000. Somebody else can spend... $50,000 $50,000 less? Huh? 450000 Still have just as nice a home. We quibble about a little bit of money. It's cheap. I said it's cheap. And when you're tithing, God will get you that $500,000 for less than 450000 You can have that $100,000 car for seventy. Because God said, from the dime you give me, I'll open up the windows of heaven. Woo! I'll bless you. He said in, in Proverbs, he said, you're, you're, he said if, if, if you honor him with your substance in the, in the first three years in the tree, he said, your barns will be filled with plenty. That 10% is the best deal anybody has ever offered you. Like I said, it's not worth that 10% in your pocket. It is not worth because you because now you do not have God's blessing on the other 90%. You don't have God's blessing on it. I'm not saying you're under a curse. I understand we're redeemed from the curse. But I'm talking about the blessing. There is a blessing associated with tithing that's not available if you don't tithe. Now, the, the, the people today that, that are all hung up over, over grace and law, and so now that, that's not true. If, if God has blessed us in redemption, if prosperity belongs to us in Christ, then God's going to bless us regardless of what we do. That's not true. I said that's not true. God blesses his children as much as he can. And as far as he can. But he cannot bless a disobedient child of his fully because if he did, he'd be endorsing their disobedience. And he can't and he won't do that. So there are blessings that we have in response to our obedience. 
And where it's tithing is concerned, to me, it's a no-brainer. I mean, it's a complete no-brainer. Are you kidding me? $500,000, God's gonna bless me with $500,000 and I'm gonna squibble over 50 grand? Oh, but that's 50 grand. Yeah, but I've got 450,000. And the blessing of God on that 450,000. Well, praise the Lord. Maybe I ought to stop here. Everybody's happy. (laughs) Hallelujah. Yes, the tithe is in effect today. Because again, it's a matter of faith. It's a matter of love. And I won't even deal with with, uh, uh, the, the able part today. We'll look at that some other time. But it's also a matter of attitude. Tithing is a matter of faith, it's a matter of love, and it's a matter of attitude. What did he say in in 2 Corinthians 9? God loves what? A cheerful giver. Amen. Uh, Let's look at that. Turn back over there. 2 Corinthians 9. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Now you do understand this idea because people will quote this sometimes today and they'll say, well, see, tithing is not a New Testament principle. Under the New Testament, we just give what we purpose in our heart. Let each person give whatever they've purposed to give. This is not talking about the tithe. He wasn't talking about tithing when he wrote this. He was talking about offerings. In this case, he really wasn't even talking about an offering for the gospel. He was talking about giving to the poor. So when it comes to offerings, not the tithe, the Bible teaches two main classifications, tithes and offerings. And then there are various kinds of offerings. We listed the different kinds. Tithing, giving to God starts with the tithe. That's the foundation. Because anything less than that, you're not honoring God with your substance. You know, people who, who, who know the truth, like I said, when I was young in the Lord, I just didn't know. I was sincere and I was asking questions. But as soon as light came, I changed. The people today who, in spite of the light, just refuse to tithe, you know, Proverbs says, honor the Lord with your substance, with your possessions and the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty, your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor the Lord. In Deuteronomy, remember Moses told the children of Israel, he said, it's God who gives you the power to get wealth. He said, do not be lifted up in pride and begin to say, my power, and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And we also found out that that faith, it's a principle of faith. People who refuse to tithe either have a lack of faith, they just don't believe God can do it for them. If I give up this dime, I'm not going to think of that. If I, I got nine dimes, but if I give up this one dime, I'm going under. Dear God, that's, that's not even intelligent. You still have the, you still have the, the 90,000. Yeah, but if I don't have that 10,000, I can't make it. Yeah, but God just gave you 90. And he'll give you 90, he'll give you 100 again. It's not the last, you know, 
train to Clarksville here. Yeah, he's gonna, this is not the last hurrah God has. It's either a lack of faith or it's a lack of honor. What does that mean? I'm not going to acknowledge God in my finances. Now, where does that stem from? Not honoring God. A person who doesn't tithe, they're, they're, they're refusing to acknowledge that God gave them the ten. The ten dollars or the or the hundred percent. What do they say? My power and the might of my hand gained me this wealth. I can't, I, I, I'm the reason I can't honor God and won't honor God is because I can't do without this ten percent. Because I earned it and only I can earn it. Only my efforts are putting me over. God didn't help me do this. I did this. If you think you did it all yourself, you better keep all of it. I said, if you think you did it all by yourself, you ought to keep all of it because you're going to need all of it. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. Moses said, no, it's the Lord who gives you the power to get well. Well, when you recognize that, you're, you, you automatically think, well, if the Lord gave me the power to get well, he gave me the power to get the 100%. It's, it's an easy thing to give him 10% because that keeps the power working. Praise the Lord. I don't know what I started to read here, but cheerful giver. Let each one give as he purposes his heart. This is not the tithe. Tithing is the, is the starting point and then their offerings. He says, but do not give grudgingly or of necessity. Margin says, by compulsion. Do not let anything I said today create a sense of necessity or compulsion. What that simply means is you give because under fear of bad, something bad happening to you or God's not happy with you, doesn't love you. None of that's true. God loves the non-tither equally as he loves me or you. God loves the, the, the if there are any un, non-tithers in here, God loves you just as much as he loves the rest of us. You're, you're not, God's not pressuring you and I'm not, I'm, I, what I'm doing is I'm trying to show you the power that's available to you and the blessing that you're missing out on. If you want to miss out on it, go ahead. Just don't complain to me. Don't come up in the prayer line praying for some kind of special financial blessing and you don't tithe. I don't do this very often. I'm a little more gracious but I had a fellow used to come to my church years, many, many years ago, decades ago, and he never tithed. And he left my church and he started going to another church. And I met him out in, in you know, in the town one day and I, had, I shook his hand, you know, and, and I'm still holding his hand. He said, pray for me. You know, I got this financial need, you know. So I still had him, but I just didn't turn him loose. It's kind of awkward, but I just held on, you know. I said, are you tithing where you go to church? And he spit and sputtered. He said, well, no. And I said, you know, that church needs your tithe. 
I happen to know the church you're going to. I know they're struggling. You, you, you need to tithe because God said he'd bless you if you tithe. He said, well, he's, I, he's trying to get his hand away from me, but I wouldn't turn it loose, you know. And he said, well, God loves me anyway. Listen, God loves you, yes. Yes, he loves you. But he doesn't respect your offering. He doesn't respect, he doesn't respect your non-tithe. He doesn't even respect the offerings you give. I can prove that from Genesis 4. Go over there. I knew we'd get to this. <laughs> Tried not to, but you made me do it. <laughs> Genesis 4, 3. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. Now, New English Version says, Abel brought the first lamb born to one of his sheep, killed it, and gave the best parts of it as an offering. Now, this isn't identified as a tithe, but it's identified as the first fruit. He said he gave the the first born of his flock. This is the original consciousness in humanity, in mankind, of the spirit, there's a spiritual instinct. When people know God, there's a spiritual, an inherent spiritual instinct to want to give God the first part. It's right here in the very, right here just outside the, the shade of the Garden of Eden. I mean, this is just in the very first days. You find somebody today that, that, when you get when a person gets saved and gets and knows God on the inside I guarantee I challenge you to deny that there's not something on the inside that wants to give the very first part to God it's right here in Genesis 4 now I realize that the flesh and the greedy mind can shut that instinct down absolutely can but when people stand before God and this is not a threat this is just a this is just a fact when people stand before the Lord on the, on, on the judgment seat of Christ and they've never honored him with their, with their money and with their possessions and they've never tithed, they're in heaven, but all that could have been done with their financial support, all the, every life that could have been saved, every, every nation that could have been changed because of their giving, they're not gonna be able to say, but Lord, I didn't know. When all of that flesh is stripped aside, they're going to be standing there with the awareness. They knew it all the time. They knew it all the time. You can't get away from this. And it says here that the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. So I tell people, yeah, People say, well, God loves me no matter what I give. Yes, he does. He loves you and he will bless you as much as he can. But he doesn't respect you or your offering. He doesn't respect you in relation to your giving. And he doesn't respect your offering. Doesn't. It says he did not respect Cain. One translation said he rejected Cain and his offering. Now, he's not rejecting Cain as a person. He's rejecting Cain in, in, the, in terms of his giving. As a giver, he's not receiving that. He rejected it. Now, it says Cain was, became very angry and his countenance fell. 
This is the first occurrence of human anger in the Bible. Now, there is a law of Bible interpretation, and it is called the the law of first reference. And it simply says that very often the first time something, a concept or a truth is introduced in Scripture, there's something significant taught that first time. That it's not just a casual thing. It's called the law of first reference. This is the very first reference to human anger in the Bible. And guess what it was associated with? Wasn't holy living, going to church. It was about M-O-N-E-Y. Giving, specifically tithing. It's still making people mad today. It is. It is. It's having the same impact today. It's the law of first reference. There's something here. And his countenance fell. (laughs) It says, uh, Amplified says he looked sad and depressed. Somebody said, well, God loves me and I'm just happy. Yeah, well, your face tells us something different. I said, your face tells us something different. You said, no. All sad and depressed. Well, God, God is, is, God loves cheerful givers, not tearful givers. <laughs> not sad givers. Not those with their countenance fallen. God loves those who, like the Amplified Bible says, they're givers who are, how does it say it? Uh, quick to do it. Repeat that to me, Leslie. She doesn't believe in the King James. You do know we're in, can you read? Somebody give her some glasses. Oh, you're in Corinthians. Genesis 4, we're talking about Abel. I know, you're just not following. That's okay. A lot of people do that. I know. I'm just messing with her. Oh, yeah, you're right. You come up here and teach this. You're right. It isn't. That is what I'm talking about. Uh, I still like messing with you. Where are we at here? Chapter 9. Man, I will buy you another Bible. Where is it? Yeah, verse 7. My goodness. A prompt to do it giver. God loves a cheerful, joyous, Prompt to do it, giver. Prompt to do it. Not sad to do it. Giving is thrilling. When you find out what God intends to do, thank you, Leslie, for paying attention. (laughs) When you discover what God intends, 
with your giving, what his point is and what his purpose is, it changes your whole outlook on giving. It's no longer a grudging obligation. You see it as a wonderful opportunity. Oh, man. God said, just, just, think, just come off that dime and, and, and see if I'll prove it to you. See what I'll do. If I'll open up the windows of heaven, glory to God, I'll, I'll, you'll have an abundance. You'll, in all circumstances, no matter what the need, self-sufficient, you'll have an abundance of every good thing. Your, your vats will overflow with new wine. Your barns, not barn, singular, barns will be filled with plenty. Oh, glory to God. That makes me happy. I don't know about you. That just gives me joy. I, when my wife and I hold hands on Sunday morning over our offering and we pray over our tithes and our offerings, and we always have offerings in addition to our tithe. We've got money going to you know, several different things all the time in addition to our tithe. But when we do that, there's, when we pray over that, there's a sense of joy and anticipation because we know what we're unlocking. We're, we're unlocking the power of God. We're unlocking the provision of God. We're unlocking blessing after blessing after blessing. And, you know, it's not something that we feel like, oh, here we go again. We don't feel that way. We feel like this, here we go again. Attitude is everything. It's everything. Amen. And, and you need to give from that perspective. Amen. If you're not there yet, there's only thing, one thing that will produce it, and that is to get into the Word of God and feed on it until you become convinced that it's true. All I can do is, is, uh, is tell you what it says, but until it becomes real to you, it won't do you any good. But I'm telling you, when it becomes real, you're going to take off. When it becomes real to you and you act in faith and honor and a good attitude, I'm telling you, financially, you are going to take off. The reason a lot of people haven't taken off, they've been tithing for years, but it was never really real to them. And so they were just giving out of a, as a sense of obligation. Listen, when you do anything and it's not of faith, God can't bless it because now you are under works. You're not under the law, but you're just under the concept of you're working. You're working to try to do something. But if when you give in faith, Yes, you're still doing what God said and you're expecting a blessing, but you do it in faith, in revelation because you understand what God said. Oh my goodness, glory to God. I, I, I think I said last week and I almost said it again this week, I guarantee you that it'll work, but I'm not guaranteeing you. God's guaranteeing you. I'm not the one that's gonna make it good. God, God has guaranteed you in his word, if you'll do this, it'll work for you. He will get, that's why he said, you put me to the test. You try me and see what I'll do. Well, praise God. I've been trying him. I believe in, I believe in being very trying when it comes to my finances. I'm putting, I'm putting him to the test. I know he's coming through every time. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. 
If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.